0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on, settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
1: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
2: And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
3: Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we ask, are Chelsea the best team in Europe? Are Manchester City back to their best? Should Pochettino walk out of Paris? And if not, what would Valverde bring to Manchester United? And can the fan-led review change football? All of that and more on this episode of The Game. Hello, welcome back to the game. I'm Hugh Wozencroft alongside Gregor Robertson, Jonathan Northcroft, and Ian Hawkey this Thursday morning. Um, Loads for us to reflect on in terms of this week's Champions League football. We're not together in person, unfortunately. I am in Ancoats, a hipster no less, uh, in Manchester, having watched the game at the Etihad last night. But uh, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Just briefly, I want to start by mentioning Liverpool simply because we saw a fantastic goal from one of their squad players Tiago last night yeah just a brilliant technique Gregor Robertson have you scored one of those before
0: why do you always ask me these questions that you know the answer to <laughs> it was a work of art it was remarkable I saw a really good one uh at Chelsea uh, you know we can pontificate about what, what what constitutes a volley and what doesn't but uh, Rhys James is, was like an absolute bullet but this was different this was like just so
3: classy did it bounce though? That's the question. Did it bounce? This is the one that football fans all over the world are pondering today. Did it did it skim a blade of grass on the way through? Jonathan, what do you think?
4: <laughs> it was like um it was like a sort of frisbee skimming on the top of the ocean, wasn't it? It was just a little little caress and that, that sort of the curved bounce or skim or whatever that it got was was majestic. He, he kind of it was almost like one of his passes, wasn't it? It was like a sort of Forty-yard crossfield ball, but into the corner of the net. Absolutely beautiful.
3: And Greg, are you just to confirm, you think it did bounce? I think so. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not sure how it could quite it could bob like that otherwise, <laughs> because it did kind of bob up and down like a skimming stone off the water. It was, uh, it was, it was just majestic.
3: Back
1: to the adjudication panel. What do you think, Ian? Did it bounce? I think it did bounce, um, and I would say that normally uh, goals scored against that Porto goalkeeper, Diego Costa particularly by Liverpool, uh, sort of discounted because
4: he
1: has has a terrible game against them. But I think this time he was genuinely undone by something majestic and and he'll be relieved about that.
3: Well, listen, that's Liverpool wrapped up. I just wanted to mention the goal because they have just I mean, they've destroyed their Champions League group. It was a, a completely changed side, really, except for two of their key players, Salah and Mane, who managed to start the game. And Liverpool fans are a little bit perplexed about that, but they, they made it through. So, um yeah, everything bodes well, including a, a debut for youngster Tyler Morton in the midfield as well. Moving on to Manchester City, though, that game I mentioned at the Etihad Stadium. City finishing top of their group, coming from behind to beat Paris Saint-Germain two goals to one. It was a game for me of real quality, I have to say. Gregor, I'm going to start with you on this one. Do you think Manchester City are showing their worth as potential winners? Because personally, you always feel like they're, they're missing that extra 2% in this competition.
0: I think this was this was kind of peak city. It was, you know, even without Sean of some of their best players, Grealish and, and uh, De Bruyne and Foden all missing. They brought in new players and it was and it, they kind of the same moving parts, the same, exactly the same kind of wearing the opposition down with so many uh, passing movement from from side to side stretching the stretching opponents and the way that they played you know both the goals came from the same sort of inverted winger or fullback in swaying cross to the back post that seems almost undefendable i think it was a kind of a classic Pep guardiola manchester city performance in in the way that they wore down the opposition i think as well you have to say, i was watching this thinking in the first half that psg They do very well to get so many men behind the ball. Obviously there's a lot of discussion about the front three and how much work they do defensively, but they're a pretty formidable unit to break down and City just wore them down and wore them down and wore them down and I thoroughly deserved the win in the end, I thought.
3: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I think left me scratching my head a little bit because they shouldn't Paris Saint-Germain with the players that they have in their squad really be a team that functions in that way. We shouldn't be talking about them being a tough team to break down. They should be able to come <laughs> to Manchester City and have great possession and have these fantastic flowing moves and, and link play because there's absolutely no reason not to with the talent in their squad. But for me, On the night, and we'll get to Mauricio Pochettino's management in a bit, there was something wrong with their performance. For Manchester City, I thought they were brilliant in the first half, should have scored more goals. Uh, Riyad Mahrez terrorised the left-back Mendes throughout the game until he was eventually substituted. But the goals, I mean, it was just, they were, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, the second goal that Manchester City scored, there was an overlap on both posts, on either side
4: of the pitch. How does that happen? Jonathan, talk to me. A lot of practice. It's re- repetition, isn't it? I mean, you, you know what Man City are going to do. Opposition analysts and coaches know what they're going to do. It's going to be a switch. I, 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 you know, they're going to go down one side and they're going to score from the other. And they're going to time it in an immaculate way so that when, when that ball is, is played, they get the overload. And they and they get it instantly, and it's so hard to defend against. Even even though you know what's coming, because they're drilled, they 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 do it on repetition. The Kyle Walker run for the first goal. I mean, the timing of that was just unbelievable. The the Bernardo. I mean, the the, the technical quality of the touch inside to Jesus was fabulous, but it's also the the timing of it. You know. His his timing and Jesus's timing just to be in those spots it's 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 geometric it's 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 beautiful and I think we're seeing a lot of City players blossoming at the moment. Bernardo, I mentioned, you know, he's back to what he was a couple of years ago. João Cancelo is probably after Mo Salah is probably the player of the year at the moment. I mean, he's he's just got the full tool set when he when he when he addresses the ball, he can play any kind of pass. It would seem. Rodri's developed in 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 extra ways this season and then you've got someone like walker who's who's playing in sort of vintage fashion and it's an amalgam of a team that's functioning beautifully but also individuals that are still being developed and are are being made to push on by the coach but also the competition for for places and you know we'll, we'll 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 come to Manchester United will come to the sort of wider discussion, but when you see City play like they do, you realise the standards that you now need to to be at, and and you could say the same with Chelsea and Liverpool. You realise the standards that that the really elite clubs are now setting individually in as teams.
0: Sorry, when you asked that, though, did you mean how does that happen from a defensive point of view for Paris Saint yeah, Germain? Of course, I thought you. I thought you did, yeah. But I mean, again, this is a thing that's that's been discussed after the game. Expecting, are we really expecting? Neymar or Mbappe to track Kyle Walker to the goal line uh, from a from a from a, to a back back post cross like this is unrealistic. <laughs> no, it <laughs> was not. it was very it's not, it's very not realistic
3: to track him to like the penalty box. You know, well, like, it wasn't to the to, penalty to box. Back. It was
0: it was in behind the fullback to basically the byline. That's why it's so hard to defend against. You know, I, I understand that, that it's true that. PSG have a pretty unique problem in that they have three world-class talents that they're trying to fit into a team and it's really, it's hamstrung them defensively. But that is a kind of a, a passage of play that Manchester City do so, so well time and time again. And it's very, very hard to defend against. Uh, you know, League One or League Two wingers I played with <laughs> alongside <laughs> would, not track a, would not track a fullback that far beyond me as well as a, full, as a, as a, as a left back myself. That just doesn't happen. It's about communication more than anything. But it's just very, very hard to defend against.
3: It was two on one all the time. It was two on one. And that is because you had three goal hangers at the other end of the pitch. That's, that's all you can really describe it as. There were times when Mbappe and Neymar and Messi were just standing in the centre circle. It was uh, with no effort whatsoever. To, I mean, even Messi, there was a point in time and I I had to go to the game just to see him. But there was a player five yards from him and he just stood still. And the player just walked past him with the ball at his feet. It was like, I actually said, your your natural instinct as a footballer should be to go towards that ball and get goal side. Just a natural, like by accident, you should be tracking back there. Like it's five yards away from you. And he just didn't move. And obviously I'm not going to criticise him. He's the greatest player who ever lived. But, you know, you look at it. And for me, the moment that Paris Saint-Germain went 1-0 up against the run of play, I was saying to my mate, right, go 3-5-2 now. Play wing backs if you're Paris Saint Germain. Put three in the middle. You've got the bench for it. You can be more defensive. You've already got three defensive players in the middle of the park anyway. You had Herrera, Idrisigay, and Paredes. So you didn't need really to change much to go three, five, two. The issue is you're not allowed to substitute one of on the front three, which is what you would have had to do. And it didn't see, Pochettino just stood there with his hands in his pockets. It was like I, I couldn't actually believe it. And we were both remarking, this must be a directive from upon high. I mean, there's no way as a coach he wants his front three players to be out of the game completely because that's what they were. They just were not getting involved whatsoever. It's seven against 10 outfield players. I mean, it's just like, how on earth can you can you win games like that against a team as good as Manchester City? Anyway, Ian, let, let's get Ian's view on it. I've spoken enough. Ian, what do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think there's, um, it, it's hard to think of any team who who would have lived with uh, Manchester City last night. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're right about Paris Saint-Germain's flaws. Um, and and I, I think there's a specific aspect to that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think there probably is uh, an unspoken barrier to substituting one on the front three, especially in a match which was still quite close. But but they there's also a, a real dependency on Mbappe. So given that the other two aren't going to buy by character do a lot of tracking back there's there's a reluctance to ask mbappe not to be you know ready to 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 be on the shoulder of the last defender because he is so much the 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 best established formula for uh for for stealing games and 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 rescuing matches which he which he still has to do quite a lot for psg i
0: mean it must be hard for the rest of the team there was a moment in the first half when uh Neymar was kind of dribbling the ball backwards, you know, inside his own half. And he, he could have just laid it off to someone. He turned and he lost and went out for play. I saw Paredes really kind of trying to dig him out. And they were arguing for about two minutes until time break, just continually bickering. You're thinking, you know, these guys are not really team players. And the midfield, as you say, are set up basically to be the workhorse's to provide a platform for them to go and shine, and it's not going to work against a team like Manchester City. So it must be hugely frustrating for for some of the rest of the team.
3: I did think Manchester City were still fantastic. I think Ian's right. Any team would have struggled against them last night. The the quality, Jonathan, of the passing and the interplay was was there throughout. I, I just I, I still watched them and think, especially when they went one nil down. Mbappe had another great chance on the break in the first half that he put over the bar. That there is still a Fragility is probably the wrong word because it isn't as big as a fragility. But
4: there are these moments that they they somehow get exposed. I think the fragility just comes from, and, and we go we go back to it again and again. There is that lack of a of a, of a bona fide goal scorer, finisher, number nine, all that sort of stuff, and, and that will leave them vulnerable. I mean, they, 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 any team that is decent enough that can can ride the luck will get chances in in any game you know and I say decent enough we're talking about the top quality teams but yeah I I was watching that thinking City have dominated they haven't taken any of their chances now uh, you know individual quality and and so on has has got the opposition a goal if that was if City are playing against Liverpool or Chelsea they've got a problem or by Munich I think again PSG there are flaws that City could unpick them, but yeah, that in this competition because this is what where it differs from the the league in this competition that is their issue. It was our issue against Chelsea in the Champions League final, and we've seen it being their issue in, in in previous years against a really really good team who can ride the luck and withstand it a little bit and then score. City are going to face some, face those those issues those those problems, and they don't have the plan B. They, 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 It's not like, I don't know, it's not like maybe Tuchel could play without Lukaku and then bring him on. City don't even have that option. So we're going to come back to this. And, and the fascinating thing about the Champions League, I think it is going to come down to the three English teams and Bayern Munich. It will be, for City's point of view, You know, they're going to have to get past at least one of their big domestic rivals, I think, to win the competition. And that's my question, Mark. Will they be able to do that? There is more for us to discuss in the Champions
3: League. I'm going to to go to Chelsea next, I think, before we get to Manchester United, which is is more, I think, than about just what happened uh, in the game this week. Chelsea hammering Juventus 4-0 at Stamford Bridge to go level on points with the Italians in Group H and top with one game to go, of course, leading the head-to-head after that big victory. Ian, do do you think
1: it was a complete performance from Chelsea? Uh, Yeah, fairly complete and, 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 and quite a statement because uh, uh yeah, i mean this is this is quite an ordinary juventus by by modern standards but but you know to sweep them away like that especially you know having having lost earlier in the group to juventus yeah i mean the the thing that would would stop me saying it was absolutely complete is that, that you know we know that chelsea can improve on that at least on paper you know with a with a formidable center forward to come back but uh yeah i mean it was it was very very heartening for chelsea Chelsea's manager, um, and also I suppose, in, in a sense, Chelsea the institution, because because of all the foregrounding of the, the homegrown academy players, which you know historically was a was a gripe about the way Chelsea operated. But uh, to see so many of them flourishing in in such a prestigious game and such an emphatic win, yeah, it was you know would have been appreciated behind the scenes too.
3: Are they favourites in European competition for you, Gregor? Are they favourites in domestic competition too?
0: They're certainly one of two or three favourites. I mean, that's not going to be huge. Are they the (laughs) favourites? Are they the favourites? Are they the favourites? I think if Lukaku gets back in in among the goals soon, then I would say perhaps, yeah. I think uh, I was at this game and I thought, the embarrassment of riches is remarkable. You know, Pulisic has come back. He had a goal scoring cameo against Leicester. He came back in. Werner came back from, from injury. They both missed chunks of the season. Werner came on and scored. Lukaku's back on the bench. He's still to come back in. But since Lukaku's been, since his injury in mid October against Malmo, I think seven and a half games, they scored 22 goals in that time. Since he's been in, out injured. He was the hundred million pound sign-in that was supposed to lead the line. They've just got so much strength and depth. Hudson Adoy has stepped up to, to the levels that he hoped he was going to reach. He's finding that with a bit of consistency in in, uh, in his play. Trevor Chalaba, you know, like he's keeping Christensen and Aspilaqueta on the bench. He was he was brilliant. Really brilliant. I think in, in his eight starts, Chelsea have conceded one goal. And you know there was the whole thing as well, and that's Tuchel's first fifty games. No manager has conceded fewer goals. It's 24 goals in his first 50 games, which beat Mourinho's record the season that Chelsea got conceded only 15 goals in the league in 2004-05. So it's ominously good. (laughs) It It is ominously good. Mason Mount was on the bench. Loved his cheek coming on. You know, they ended with five players from the academies. There's so much, so much for Chelsea fans to be
3: excited about just now. And as I say, Lukaku's still to return. Jonathan, do you agree? Favorites domestically, European as well.
4: I think that Liverpool team's going to win something this year, either the Champions League or the league. It's it, they're they're at the peak. That that the front three and and Van Dijk. I just think they they've got one of those titles. But overall, I think Chelsea are looking like the best team. So you know, Gregor mentioned the the depth. I mean, they bring on. Saul Negüez and and you almost fall off your seat, you've forgotten he's even there. <laughs> yeah. It's Saul, blood and blind. You know, Ross Bartley's sitting there, not not even getting involved as he's not even the 23rd choice player now anymore. And it's it's incredible how Tuchel not only has this armory of of players, but seems to be able to keep them all motivated. You know, that was a Alex Ferguson trick, being able to slot people in and and, and they play at maximum motivation. And how he's got Hudson-Odoi, for example, a Loftus-Cheek, how he's got them to accept being down the pecking order and then when they come in, they play with such appetite and positivity and with the sense that if they do well enough, they get to stay in the team. That's a real management trick. That's, that, that, that's sensational. Kante went off. Kante went off in the first half. It didn't affect them at all. It's um, a real feat of management, Chelsea. You know, tactically, but also, as I say, in terms of of how he's managing the group. And and yeah, they're they're absolutely formidable. So I think they'll win something as well, which means, I guess, I'm having sort of warbled on about City. I'm sort of writing them out of the picture now, aren't I? I don't know, it's, it's so difficult.
3: I did see, um, I don't know who said it this week. I think I saw a tweet earlier on this week that said an English club should win the Champions League this season if you look at the the main contenders. Ian, from what you've seen from the others across Europe, is it going to be an English club this year? Yes, or or Bayern
1: Munich. We're confronting a... Quite a radical turnaround. I didn't remember last year was was quite sort of monochrome. In the last sixteen, four from Germany, four from England, four from Spain. By the end of the the final match, at the group stage, I think we could have four Spanish teams dropping into the Europa League, including the champions Atletico Madrid, who have really lost their way. Barcelona probably going to drop into the Europa League. Villarreal, who were made a mess of things against Manchester United. Uh, may well go the same way severe in trouble. So so from from an English point of view where all four teams are going to well have cruised into the next phase um it the landscape looks quite different and and it looks you know the one the one significant mountain on it is is Bayern Munich because Dortmund are out Leipzig are out. So I, I in a way it makes it more interesting but I think it it, it clearly makes it look less intimidating to to any of the english teams even manchester united oh well we're, we're, come on let's not be ridiculous <laughs> here ian come on now i
3: mean geez it was going so well until you said that um before we get to manchester united and their chances or not in the champions league one player we haven't mentioned yet Thiago silva ian is he the best defender in england certainly right now do you
1: think thomas Tuchel knew him better than anybody at chelsea when he arrived which was, which was important i mean he's a good ally to have Thiago silva and and clearly Uh, the system that Chelsea play suits him and brings out the best in him. But yeah, I mean, he, you know, he's, well, he's, you know, he's been high class almost wherever he's been in his, you know, since his early mid twenties. And yeah, I think, you know, Chelsea have, have found the best way of, of, of using him. But, but, but he is extraordinary, isn't he? And he does, you know, he does extraordinary things. He's not a giant, but you know, he leaps in an extraordinary way. And his positional sense is, is, is fabulous.
3: I was having a bit of an argument with my mates a little bit earlier on this week. We were, well, say we were watching the Chelsea game. This is how it all ensued. Some of us were watching the Chelsea game. Others weren't. Not, not fussed about watching Chelsea at all. It brought something to mind. I, I, I said, a Chelsea a super club then you know they've, they've been winning champions leagues they've won so many trophies over the last decade or in the abramovich era and i said they have they really entered the public consciousness as a super club do people like watching their matches do people have any sort of affinity i mean look let's put it this way you know manchester city have brought in loads of money as well but you, you seem to enjoy watching their games a little more they're, they're so good that you you would tune in as a neutral i think that to, to watch city even though they might not be a super club either but it's one of those where people sort of say, oh, Chelsea, yeah, they're probably going to win." Not bothered, not bothered, and 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 it, and it started a bigger debate. And I wonder what, what you think about it, Jonathan. Are,
4: are they a super club yet? Oh, I th- I, th- I think they. I mean, they. I don't know if it's the right term, super club. I mean, they're one of the powerhouses of football. They're, somebody described to them as a as a football as a factory. You know, they've probably got the best youth system in Europe now, probably, um, and they've arguably had the best transfer record policy over the last five to ten years, doing things in their own merry, unique way. And now they've got a team. I mean, I'd tune in to watch that Chelsea team any day of the week just as much as I would tune in to watch the City team. They're an absolute joy to watch. You know, we're talking about them setting records for defensive solidity, but they're so exciting on the ball. The defenders are so exciting on the ball. Reese James, you know, Thiago Silvia mentioned... He's, he just, he's like one of those beautiful footballers who just happens to play centre-back, but he could play somewhere else. So whether Super Club, because Super Club's got that connotation of, of a Real Madrid or a Man United, you know, with the worldwide following and the history. I, I know that will always be, you know, maybe a barrier for Chelsea, but in terms of a football sort of monolith, they're up there by almost any measure, maybe not stadium, but any other measure.
3: A long way of saying no, to be honest, Jonathan. but
4: <laughs> on, Greg. on, Greg. That's what I'm paid to do. <laughs>
0: I think they're great to watch. The way they have the, the kind of the double number tens and the wing backs push so high, and how kind of relentless they are as well. The way that Jorginho just keeps them kind of you know the metronome in the middle keeps them ticking over, keep them ticking over, ticking over. And also that you know how long ago is it now that we're, the conversations about Fitting Kante and Cante and Georginio in the same team, and it's now Cante. Before he went off, he was the one who was running beyond Pulisic as the as the false nine. He always makes those runs now. It's like like no one really expects it still from Cante, but he's he's the one making those runs as the high, you know, the most most advanced player tactically. They're they're outstanding, and as Johnny says, also the 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 back three. You know, Rudiger sometimes makes those charging runs. Chalaba is very you know very much capable of stepping in. He's a midfielder. He's played more of his football and professional football. Loans at Huddersfield, uh, Ipswich and uh, Lorraine in League One. He's played more, most of his football in midfield. And that's that's a, a smart piece of coaching to say, I can see a, a place where I'm on the right side of the fence. He can step out and, and link with Rhys James. And I, I just, Rhys James is just extraordinary. I know I've said this before in the podcast, but I think he could play anywhere on the pitch and be one of the best players on the pitch. I think he could be a center forward and like, hold, like hold the ball up with his back to goal, <laughs> and then kind of spin season center halves and smash it in the top corner. He's just an exceptional talent. And when you think of some of the players, you know, you know, Chelsea still, even in the summer, they were thinking about signing a, a, a right side wing back. I think they went for, for the PSG wing back and you know, he, you just think over the number of players over the years, and when they 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 signed they signed, you know, huge, huge, uh, you know, kind of world class talents. And Rhys James is on the, of that level. He is. He just needed the opportunity, and this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing these players given the opportunity, and they're stepping up to the mark. And so much for Chelsea fans to be excited about.
3: You mentioned Kante and Jorginho in there. Ian, I, I should mention it's the Ballon d'Or this Sunday. Will it be a Chelsea player? Will it be one of those two Chelsea players? Or should it be, for many people, the Bayern Munich striker Robert Lewandowski who finally gets rewarded for his fantastic efforts over the last few seasons? How, how do you think it will go? It becomes
1: harder to second-guess these processes, but I'm afraid I'd be surprised if it was was somebody from Chelsea who... Might broadly be classified as a defensive midfielder. You know that's the that, that's that's the difficulty. It's uh, the way these the way these things are sort of glamorised. There's um <clears throat> you know there's an emphasis on on forward players. I mean um, Modric did win it, didn't he? But uh, that was after a particularly impressive World Cup. Um, yeah, I mean I, I think I think history would say that Lewandowski deserves to have been honoured because he has been. Peerless for a long time in in the centre forward position. Uh, so you know that 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 makes him a great by most standards. Yeah. So I yeah. I, I, I think, I think Lewandowski should probably retire with a Ballon d'Or and this is as good a time as any.
3: Uh, we'll see exactly uh, how that pans out. Um, more for us to discuss. We'll talk Manchester United next. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review and of course, make sure you're subscribed. We'll also be talking about the fan-led review into football a little bit later on.
1: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.
2: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
3: Let's talk Manchester United next because there are a number of things on the agenda. Michael Carrick's first game as caretaker was an important 2-0 win over Villarreal. It means Manchester United qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League. Cristiano Ronaldo with a clever opener. Jadon Sancho sealed victory with his first goal for the club. Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford were dropped by Carrick. There were starts for Teles van der Beek and Martial. Ian, what did you see in the first match under Carrick? It might be half of his reign. To be honest, he might be replaced after the weekend. Was it evolution? Was it revolution? What do you think? The pattern
1: of Manchester United's Champions League games is is fairly well established, isn't it? That uh, they live on the edge for a bit and then and then steal it at the end. So in that sense, he just carried on as normal, which which you know which works, and they're through. But but you know there, there were encouraging things, I, I guess, Sancho. As much as anything, Sancho's freedom, relish um, and effectiveness uh, was a plus. Uh, Some of his other selections are less convincing, Martial particularly. But, you know, I guess in a sense, a, a weight has been lifted, hasn't it, on everyone at the club, including the players. And Carrick came through a very, very difficult situation quite well with the result required. And this, you know, they're through, which is which is the main thing which is the the main thing for the people who deal with the finances at the club and and now i guess we just wait for them to think of various different synonyms for caretaker interim (laughs) bridge manager (laughs) transitional executive boss
3: (laughs) and what did you think of the transitional executive then and his team uh, jonathan michael carrick there
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like a, a early days Oli performance in some ways, wasn't it? He, he went back to basics. He kept it tight. Um, I think mean, maybe the, 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 from a kind of tactical point of view, the, the, the thing I noticed that, that probably was a bit different was that there was a bit more um, emphasis, structure, coordination in the press. They lined up in a very specific way, which is maybe it's why van der Beek started when the opposition had the ball and were trying to play out. There did seem to be some work that had gone on. They were trying to press higher up and they were trying to press as a five. And it did work up to a point and Fred came into his own in the second half um, when Villarreal made a couple of mistakes and, and and won the ball. The unburdening of Sancho mentally was a, was a big thing. You'd have to sit down with him and try and work out whether there's a problem there under Solskjaer, what it was before, whether he just felt, you know, kind of burdened by the, the, the whole um, United trough. He just played more like the Jaden Sancho that, that we watched on our screens, playing for Dortmund with with, with a bit of freedom and, and better on the right. That goal will do him a lot of good. And uh, I, I guess little things like the, the forward pass that McTominay made, um, in the run-up to that goal of sort of Carrick-esque sort of slide rule, forward ball rather than a sideways ball. I don't know if that's coincidence or if that's something that Carrick might have worked on as well or, or, or tried to encourage. That's very necessary for United to, to stop playing quite so square in the, in the middle of the park. But I just think we'd be, we'd be daft to read too much into... One game, you get a new manager bounce, or a, a old manager has gone bounce, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, so I think we need to see a little bit more. Only other thing is, you know, Carrick clearly, and I think you get this advantage when you have ex players. He can he can handle the spotlight, he can handle the environment. You know, you, we 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 learned that about him. very calm and composed the way he went about his business. But yeah, United have been here before. They shouldn't read anything too deeply into one game.
3: Gregor, were the, were the players more free? The likes of Jaden Sancho happier? Maybe I don't
0: know if he was more. They were more free. I think. Well, yeah, the fact
4: that Sancho has played
0: wide on the right, he's often had to play in the left. I think that's very important. That's his best position. Getting the most from him is going to be huge. He was—he's a, a, a wonderful talent. Someone who, because we've not seen the best of him on these shores, it's kind of there's still a strange relationship it feels with the the British public and Jaden Sancho. And he's, you know. He's not really flourished for England yet either, I don't think, but he's a remarkable talent. So, yeah, absolutely getting him a song from him this season is going to be huge. Um, I also just think, you know, leaving out Fernandez was was quite was quite bold. I agree with John. I don't think we can read a great deal into this. I just think the fact that you saw definitely a little bit more in terms of Manchester United's pressing from the front and that they got that all-important win. You know, if they, if they lost this game, then... You know, just send the club into an even greater tailspin, and as you say, the even more synonyms for the for the caretaker would be starting to emerge. I think from
3: from Ian Hockey. (laughs) Manchester United do go to Chelsea uh, next in the Premier League. Do you give them any chance, Gregor?
0: Not having seen Chelsea and how how relentless they were the other night against Juventus. So, I mean, I, I can't see Manchester United, particularly how weak they're going to be defensively. You know, no Maguire, no Varan, probably Eric Bay to come in there.
3: Luke Shaw might be missing. It seems like he has a concussion issue. Yeah. I mean, Not that that would be a hindrance, but yeah. <laughs>
0: well, <laughs> no, I mean, the reality is there's a gulf between those those two clubs now. In those two teams, and there's quite a lot of ground to make up for Manchester United between between them and Chelsea. And that part of that's to do with, with the way they're coached, and part of it is to do with big weaknesses in their team, and particularly, as I say, at the back. So, I, no, I don't really give Manchester United much chance, I'm afraid.
4: Jonathan, do you not overall? No, um, that's that they, they 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 would be lucky to they, you know, you. Yes, a few random things could happen. I suppose it could get they could get to a final, but I, I don't I don't really think so. They'd just be this is an improvement for United to be to be in the in the last sixteen. Let's face it, they avoid the Thursday nights. Uh, what happens if Carrick beats Chelsea three nil? Does he get the job? My, Michael's at the wheel. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I think with this whole United interim thing, I know it's funny. It's it it is funny. It's it, There are. You know, ridiculously corporate club at times, and the whole interim interim thing is plays into that. But I do think the general principle of taking their time, of going to the end of the season, uh, and getting the right person, I do think that's the right the right thing. I do think that's the right one. I guess the question mark is could could they not just let Carrick do it to the end of the season? There's also a logic in having the interim. Chelsea have done that. I think this might be a case of presentation. You know, if you, if United are just sort of kept quiet and then installed their own goosehead ink and said, this guy's here at the end of the season. We might've just accepted it and gone, this this is fine. You know, it's, it's a presentational issue, but the principle of let's, you know, they've got to get this next appointment, right. And it's logical that that'll have to be in the summer. And they then need to find a way to get the end of the season. And maybe to give Michael Carrick that responsibility is too much. I actually don't have a problem with the principle, but I think they've tied themselves in knots with that statement.
3: Ian, then let's talk about some of the um, possible names that could come in. Um, Reflecting on the fact, firstly, that that Jonathan thinks it is a good idea to have an interim, could it be Michael Carrick or Ernesto Valverde, who's been um, reported in the newspapers as having been spoken to in that Interim role, the former Bilbao and Real and Barcelona boss, would he be a good choice?
1: Yes, he's he's an, a very very able and somewhat underrated manager. The, the, the issue here uh, with uh, interim, and, and if I've got the term wrong, you'll have to correct me. Um, but um, the issue here is 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 how you how you present. I, I think Johnny is right. You know, there there is a perfectly. Sensible logic to it. But you will eliminate some possible candidates by saying that you are just a, a, a stopgap and there is absolutely no possibility that were you to win the Champions League or something, things might change. So that's where the presentation, I think, is important that, that you know. Getting people to come as merely a stopgap. Now there is there are there are there are lots of good managers for whom the opportunity to manage Manchester United is is clearly very very exciting for however long. Um, there are lots of good managers who uh, want to have their names mentioned around this job as well, just to remind people that they're out there. So I think there's a little bit of this going on. I'm not saying that that's the case with Valverde at all. If Maurizio Pochettino is is the the ultimate. The the top guy on the wish list, which seems to be the case, to tell somebody who has won the Spanish league twice and has a, a you know a long back catalogue of great success that he is keeping the seat warm for somebody who has won very little is it's a difficult thing to present, but but you know Valverde is extremely able. You know the the, the one deficit is that he hasn't. Worked in the Premier League and in England, but uh, you know he's 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 a very very astute coach and and be a very good public face of Manchester United.
3: What are his teams like if it is to be him appointed in the next few days? What would the Manchester United fans expect from a Valverde side?
1: Um, they they would expect them to be uh, well organised, but but also you know have some pizzazz. Valverde played under Johan Cruyff, which is you know a badge that. You're required to wear if you're you're going to be a Barcelona manager, which he was. Yeah, yeah, he's attacking, enterprising, uh, likes teams with with width. Uh, the, the, you know, the the, the big question mark, and especially you know through a through an English lens, is that um, you know he oversaw some some collapses, some late collapses in in the later stages of the Champions League. With Barcelona, so there was, you know, there were there were questions about you know killer instinct and and proper preparation. The Barcelona who were undone by by Liverpool, for instance, in that astonishing uh, semi final. So um, you know that's that's uh, these are these are episodes that maybe count against him. But um, but overall, you know, he's 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 very worldly, and and his football principles are are you know absolutely to be to be admired and to. And, and and should excite uh, the next club he works for.
3: Mauricio Pochettino, after that defeat uh, at the Etihad, reminded reporters once again that he is happy uh, at Paris Saint-Germain. Reports are that the club wouldn't let him leave mid-season anyway. Should United be waiting for Pochettino? And, and would it be good for Pochettino to, to wait until the summer and possibly allow Manchester United to look elsewhere? Ian, what do you think?
1: I think to walk out of Paris Saint-Germain, would be quite a difficult and potentially damaging thing to do for for Pochettino. Uh, you know, this is he is going to to win trophies, which is um, you know, which is what he his his CV needs. His, his, you know, his CV needs a league, which um, you know, it's, it's more or less wrapped up already there. And I, and I, I you know, I just I think I think there's you know, there's a sense of professional pride as well. You know, he's. Uh, he needs to see through a full season, and and I still think and something would have to go badly wrong for for them to to do to him what they did to Thomas Tuchel you know, more or less a year ago, firing him mid season. So yeah, I think that's an unlikely unlikely scenario. I, th- I think for 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 Pochettino's own sake, um, he he will last the season at PSG.
3: Gregor, what do you think? Should Pochettino be you know looking for the exit door at PSG? Is the Manchester United job Going to be that desirable for him.
0: Everything he's saying is true. It, it, the kind of lust for silverware is going to be pretty strong, and it's and it's, it's there and waiting for him. And at the end of the season, and no matter what we're saying about the difficulties he has in marshalling that team with those three world class, you know, superstars in attack, it's a challenge you'll want to try and kind of overcome. And think if you can harness their their talents properly and and provide a decent enough foundation then they've still got a chance in, in Europe so it would be pretty r- remarkable for him to for him to leave that just now or midway through the season and for what with Manchester United just now you know I think there's still there's still a lot to get in in shape uh, between now and the end of uh, end of the season in terms of you know the, the probably the structure of the football club above him uh whether Ed Woodward's still going to be hanging around uh you know they I'm sure their conversations could take place if if it it's gonna be made clear, clear that he's their man in the summer. There'll be much to kind of much much to change between now and end of the season for Manchester United. So um I I don't think he should leave just now. Johnny's right in that an interim is the is the best thing now, but that just completely ignores everything that's gone before. I mean how the, how Manchester United, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world have ended up in this situation is is pretty extraordinary when you just stop and pause to think about it for a moment. That with twenty six games left in the league, I think they're kind of trying to get someone in on a temporary basis, almost kind of, this season seems to be like a, a transitional one, uh, Yeah, we're not even midway through it, you know, it's it's extraordinary uh, how they've backed themselves into this corner, all to line someone up in the summer, we're not, it's not entirely sure that's going to be yet, it looks like it's going to be Pochettino, but it's not, that's not a guarantee, so really pretty remarkable that Manchester United found them is, themselves in this situation, even by their standards.
3: Um, we're going to move on from Manchester United I feel like we're going to have more to say about them in the coming week or so especially uh, as there seems like there might be a a transitional executive on their way into the club so we'll come back to (laughs) Manchester United uh, in the next podcast up next we will talk about the fan-led review in football and the recommendations that have been made to develop the game that's next on the game Premier League clubs should pay about £160 million a year in the form of a 10% levy on top flight transfers. That's according to a fan-led review into English Football Governance. The 162-page report written by Tracy Crouch, MP, with the assistance of an expert panel, calls for the formation of an independent regulator for English football with powers that would extend to seizing control of a club from their owner. There are so many recommendations. I think 40 seven in all, it's summed up in 10 major points that the government should create this new independent regulator, which oversees financial regulation in football, establishes a new owners and directors test that new corporate governance code should be set up. Equality, diversity, and inclusion plans should be mandatory. Supporters should be consulted on all key off-field decisions through a shadow board. Uh, items of club heritage should be protected by a golden share for fans. More support from the Premier League to the Pyramid through that solidarity transfer levy. Uh, That is from buying players from overseas and for top-flight clubs. Uh, Women's football should be treated equally and given its own review. And stakeholders should work to increase protection of welfare of players leaving the games. So there is a raft. Of recommendations that I tried to skim through as quickly uh, as I could. Um, Jonathan, I'll start with you on this. Is it a good thing that this fan-led reviews come out, and do you think any of these points will 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 be adopted?
4: Well, the biggest thing that strikes me, and I've got that kind of Arsene Wenger thing ringing in my head. You know, remember when Wenger talked about having a socialist model at Arsenal, and in terms of his wage structure, and this is um, this is like a sort of socialist model for running the the game with, with attacks on the rich clubs and representation of the people on, on boards and a regulator and, and red tape and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, the thing that strikes me is that those 20 Premier League chairmen are gonna absolutely hate this. It just goes against everything that the, the, the guys like them stand for. And there's gonna be a tension, I think, uh, as a result. Um, so is it a good thing? Well, phew, it, it's something... It, it, it's got to be workable which is i guess is the point i'm making and and i wonder if there's so much in this that that it's going to be opposed and and watered down and then we won't actually get something like this at all but in terms of some of the principles i mean you know goes without saying more fan representation better inclusion and diversity that fantastic the tax intrigues me the transfer tax because you know i think we all we can all kind of relate to the principle what I would have a question mark about would be how would this money be spent? I'm all for redistributing money down the pyramid, but who's then going to control or, or police how the, the clubs in league one, league two and, and the championship are going to spend it? I are the rogue um, owners of the Steve Dales and so on of the world. just going to get their hands on, on more money and, and not, not, not spend it properly. So there's a lot of devil in the detail. Um, and again, you know, the point I make on regulator and fan golden share is who's a regulator and which fans are on the board, Which how is that decided? Again, good principles but need to be seen in practice. It strikes me that it's all a, re- it's a bit of a reaction to the European Super League. It's like everything we called for back in May or whatever, let's have it now and it's, it's about nine months later, six months later. Um, so is a the momentum to, to push it through. But sure, some of the principles, I can't see all of it getting through. Some of them are worthwhile.
3: Gregor, what do you think about it all? Because I know you've traveled to clubs up and down the country. Many have been in, in real trouble over the last four or five years. And I think for those clubs, this might be something that, that is massively needed.
0: Absolutely. The, the thing that struck me reading it is this all sounds kind of revolutionary and, and new, but this, is, this has been drawn up and written by fans by fans around the country, by Blackpool fans, by uh, Leighton Orient fans, by Blackburn fans, by Charlton fans, all these clubs that have endured such kind of hardship in, in the last decade or so. They put forward these proposals years ago. It took, Johnny's right, it took the Super League. It took coronavirus for them to be listened to and to be heard which is a good thing so i'm not <laughs> i'm not but you shouldn't just dismiss this as a led review it is this is written by the fans absolutely and it was very interesting to read uh, danny finkelstein's column this morning in the times he was he was part of this he's a times columnist he was part of the the review and he was writing about how struck he was by the knowledge and the consensus that he saw over hundreds of hours of interviews with fan groups, they they have they've been at the coal face. They've seen how how football is broken and how it needs how it should be fixed, and they've they're very well organised. They've come together and they've, as I say, they 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 constructed this kind of blueprint a number of years ago. So Danny was was first of all struck by that, and second of all, he was struck by the Blackpool supporters who, you know, I remember going up to Blackpool when Blackpool played Arsenal in the FA Cup and fans were still boycotting outside the stadium and Arsenal fans were streaming past and they were handing flyers to them and a lot of Arsenal fans didn't have a clue about this they're like well why are you not going in like they didn't they didn't know they kind of that they'd been boycotting for several years because their club was owned by a convicted rapist Danny Finkelstein didn't know this either he was saying you know maybe I did know it in the past maybe it's kind of slipped my mind now but it, 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 he said it, it really struck him that the Premier League, when, when Blackpool got into the Premier League, promoted to the Premier League for a solitary season, and the Premier League said, you're going to have to change your owner because he's a convicted rapist. Of course, they didn't manage to do that in the time it took before Blackpool to be relegated. And he was back in the Football League and he was allowed to continue for, for even longer. So, you know, he just said that that struck him as, in, you know, the, the regulations aren't working in this country. <laughs> I'm kind of with Johnny. You kind of think this has been spoken about for so long. You hear people like Andy Holt, acting and Stanley Chairman, shouting about it on Twitter. We need an independent regulator. You know, the fan groups up and down the country, as you say, I've been, I've been to these clubs and spoken to. They've talked about. No one really thought it was going to happen because it needed government inter, uh, intervention. But it sounds like the government are supportive of this. It's going to take a huge pushback by the Premier League, which is possible. For the government not to push this through now because it would be a a huge u-turn although they're they're perfectly capable of that as well um another the only other thing i would say is you know i I read it and thought to myself redistribution is also the one thing that's not really confronted it's been said that because and it's the most important thing in, in in a healthy pyramid undoubtedly the number one and it's the one thing that's not it, what they've said so far is the EFL and the Premier League have until the end of the year to make a compromise about the abolition of parachute payments or restructuring of them and the restructuring of the, the distribution of the Premier League's wealth. And if they don't do it, then the independent regular, regulator would step in and and look to, you know, possibly there'd be another review about how best that would be sorted. That's the most important thing of all of it, because the gulf between the premier league and the championship in particular is what puts the strain on all, all these football clubs and is what attracts the wrong kind of people as owners in the first place. And without fixing that, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, look, the, the, having more, more scrutiny of the people who are coming to own clubs, having, and, and also not just once they're own, an owner parking the bus, they can be, you know, they, they can they can check their books on a regular basis. It also struck me. You think how how would Derby County, for instance, have avoided being in this situation now? Because there's also no talk about you know cost control protocols. But they have the, the an independent regulator would have the ability to look at Derby's books, and they would have been able to do that two years ago and said, "Look, hey, you're spending far too much money here. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to change that. You're gonna have to inject some cash, or you're gonna have to." Reduce your wage bill, and if they don't do it, then they have the power to penalise them. And if they don't do that, they have the power eventually, before Derby reach administration, to uh, enforce administrators, perhaps without the punishment that follows it. You know, so th- this is this is this is all this is all a far better world that we're we're envisaging in front of us, um, because it it doesn't endanger football clubs or it protects them more.
3: Scale of one to ten, how hopeful are you that this will work out? I think there's enough will behind it now, and I think ah, uh, but you, you miss a major point here, Gregor. The people with the most money in the game are the, are the probably the ones that are going to be least behind it. And it's it's my experience of life that the people with the most money and the most power usually get their way. But you know, that's just me being cynical.
1: Ian, what what do you think about this? It's very very broad. That there's that you know there are many aspects to it. Some of which I think there will be unanimous support for i think anything that that curtails predatory carpet-bagging owners is, is clearly to be welcomed now I, I think i think you know the premier league voice will be uh yes yes you know we, we want to avoid that as long as it's uh is dealing with people in the efl we don't want any restrictions on people with a lot of money who might be interested in investing in the in the Premier League. I mean, I think you know the, the way the, the way some of the aspects of this will probably go is that there will be a lot of to and fro between the Premier League and 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 government, and the Premier League will say, "Well, hang on, just don't do anything that that uh, restricts the success of one of you know one of your your greatest exports." In other words, don't turn us into to Germany because you know. People don't watch the Bundesliga as much as they watch the Premier League around the world. And that's because there's greater regulation on on what German clubs can do in terms of spending. And, and and that comes from fan veto power. They'll say we don't want to get into the kind of wage caps that are restricting clubs in Spain because you know that will make us less glamorous for the rest of the world. So, you know, as I say, it's very broad, but there are some aspects of this which I... Yes, you will feel the loud voice of Premier League capitalism, and and I suspect that the government will uh, will listen to that and 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 think, okay, well let's let's not go, let's not go too crazy with this.
0: I think they already have, though. I think you know that that's why there is no talk of a salary cap. Tracy Crouch was saying, if UEFA wanted to broach that and make it work, then then yes, but we're not gonna we're not gonna make the Premier League uncompetitive on a kind of European uh, stage. The other thing is the Premier League don't have to give up much more money. They just have to redistribute it differently. You're talking about the 160 pounds, sorry, 160 million pounds as a as a levy on transfer fees. That's still less than they pay to, three, to, 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 to a handful of clubs in the championship and parachute payments. They pay 250 million pounds annually to a handful of clubs in the championship they just need to spread that out more evenly and up a little bit, I think. And so it feeds its way down through the pyramid. And if you're having a levy, Johnny's right, make it very specific what it's for, make it for grassroots football. You don't have to have a transfer levy to spread to the rest of the the pyramid, spread that, you know, build facilities with that. You've got to have structure in place where the money that they're distributing is is done so more evenly. That's all this is. And it's not really saying give us more money, Premier League. It's just saying, we need to spread it more fairly. So it's not completely skewing the balance of of, uh, of competition in, in the leagues below you. So I, I wouldn't be too scared of the Premier League. The biggest thing you'd be scared about is ultimately they're seeding, they're seeding power and control. It's no longer a, a members club in the EFL and the Premier League to direct the, travel, uh, the course of travel. That's the biggest thing, but it's also the the most important thing along with the redistribution.
3: If I was Alison Rudd, I'd ask our producer John to play us out with, uh, with Wu Tang Clan Cream. Um, but, um, but we'll see if he can fit that in. <laughs> um, Jonathan Northcroft, Gregor Robertson, Ian Hawkey, thank you for being with me for the past hour or so. Um, we'll be back with you on Monday. We'll react to another big weekend of Premier League football, of course. Remember, if you enjoyed the podcast, rate us, leave us a review as well, and make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. You sign up today, you'll get yourself one month free. So go on. And check it out. It's the times.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you on Monday. Take care. The train is now approaching junction at platform Passengers, Airport, please stay on board. Next
1: stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's
0: more to iPhone.
3: Hi, this is
0: Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco
3: QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years.